This podcast is brought to you by the Trillium Awakening Teacher Circle. To find out more about how to grasp the means of your own awakening, visit our website at www.trilliumawakening.org. So I wanted to talk some tonight about Tantra's revolutionary question. Um, when we hear the word Tantra, we also think immediately, in the West at least, of sexuality, yeah? Or of uh, having, a, having a spiritual path around having great sex. And that's not inaccurate, but it's partial. Uh, and that Trillium Awakening is a Tantric path, and we do have a positive view of sexuality, but only in the same sense that we have a positive view of everything physical, really. And um, I kind of like uh, Cynthia Borzillo's assessment of, of the wider view of this, that uh, Tantra is an ancient and authentic spiritual tradition that's based on a um, comprehensive metaphysics. And that metaphysics uh, offers a vision of uh, integration that um, views the material world as not a mirage and not um, a trap, but rather a integral part of ultimate reality that has a unique and um, indispensable role to play in the embodied awakening process. And um, a lot of traditional spiritual and religious, religious practices have, have a lot of do's and don'ts, yeah? And tantric paths don't have a lot of do's and don'ts. Uh, these do's and don'ts are often thought of as trying to avoid the obstacles on the spiritual path. And often there's a lot more don'ts than there are do's. Um, if we took the Ten Commandments as an example, there's three do's and seven don'ts. <laughs> Apparently, it, it, there's an assumption or a context that the spiritual path is more perilous than tantrics normally think it to be. Um, so, I was involved in such a path for a lot of years. In fact six out of the seven teachers that are sitting up here were similarly involved and uh, it served me well for a really long time but ultimately I started to feel like I was in a kind of Zeno's paradox of continual and like endless approach and um, Although uh, there was a long trail of what were called good experiences in meditation and also in your daily activity that trailed off behind me, but um, I never really felt like I was somehow stably established in being. And on that path there was a lot of both practices and do's and don'ts. I find that, that those frequently go together. That, the more practices, more advanced techniques there are, keep adding more and more whistles and bells onto your practice. There's also lots more 
do's and don'ts, not just about whatever diet or sexuality, but mm. music or what kind of house to live in or what color clothes to wear or what gemstone to wear on which finger of your hand <laughs> and, and which day of the week to install it there for the first time. And there's a, it's kind of, it becomes clear after a while that there's almost no end to self-improvement, you know, the search for ever greater purity. And that's, that was how I felt this ultimately. It was kind of an ascent into more purity, greater levels of development or refinement of consciousness. And um, I was surprised the first time I came around here and heard it described as a descent, which was a new thing for me to consider, that rather than up and out, we're trying to go down and in, and ultimately through that, uh, what St. John on the Cross called luminous darkness. And uh, so in this work, we are encouraged to turn towards rather than away from things that are often thought of as obstacles in, in our own personal disposition and to embrace those things and through that embrace to um, those things are transformed and then ultimately in the long run realize to actually maybe not be obstacles in the first place. And not only not be obstacles, but ultimately not be separate from that elevated precious goal that you were seeking all those years of your life. And I can say it occupied the major part of my adult life um, mm -hmm. to the exclusion of progeny, a, a, a good career, a, making money. It wasn't, this somehow just was never really a life of accumulation for me. But anyway, I found my way to this, and um, I came to discover that Tantra's revolutionary question is, what if there's nothing to renounce? What if um, all of our worst stuff can become part of our spiritual journey? Uh, what if we turn towards our indignation and our sadness and our fear and our apathy and our cowardice and our regrets and our grief? If all of those things can be welcomed and tenderly held, they can start to be uh, depressurized and the self-contraction that goes with them, which can even be cellular, starts to loosen and be less contracted, be less knotted up. And um, the energy and attention that's bound up there can be freed up and ultimately serve our uh, evolutionary quest to what, to outgrow or to end to end the um, the case of mistaken identity which has been our life up to this point 
to recognize that who, who we are in a deeper way, a, a deeper place. And we call this green lighting. We give the green light to things that arise in us that may be disturbing or may feel like unspiritual things. And rather than deal with them in the typical way that most people do, through either distraction or repression or projection, stay with and feel how it actually is and see what happens as it moves and, and reveals itself to you. And um, often tantric paths are thought of as somewhat hazardous and not without reason because there's a certain way in which the, all of these, there's a reason why these cultural conditions and, and ideas about uh, the life of the spirit and, and there are in certain way guardrails on our inner life. And when you take the guardrails off, uh, it, it can feel um, as if the sand beneath our feet is kind of moving. And when you first got involved with this, probably the teacher that you're working with said at some point to you that uh, if you get involved in this in a serious way, Paul or Ralph, you, uh, th there may come a time when a lot could be demanded of you. And that demand's not gonna come from any of the teachers or any of the mentors but from the force of your own awakened being. And um, that's just the nature of a tantric path that we keep our ear to the ground of our internal life and be with whatever is arising in the moment. And in that sense, there is more that's required of you because there isn't just a whole lot of formulaic practices that each person is asked to impose on themselves, but Mary Ellen has to do Mary Ellen yoga. And each other person has to find their own unique journey into this awakened life. And um, the help that you have in this work, the secret sauce of a tantric path is transmission. The transmission is the X factor of, of this of this unusual process the hidden secret ally that, that helps to move things along. And um, we have a definition, actually, of transmission, so we should probably be sure we're all talking about the same thing. And in this work, <clears throat> transmission is defined as a subtle event whereby the radiant, awakened and embodied condition of the teacher is communicated non-verbally, silently, by means of resonance effect. It's as if two people are stand, sitting next to each other and one strikes a G chord on their guitar, the other person's guitar just starts resonating with that frequency, like that. 
And um, <clears throat> this transmission tends to do two things. It tends to uh, activate or, or kind of jumpstart your own recognition of yourself as consciousness, as that silent, endless, and actually beginningless, changeless, imperishable reality, which has always been true but frequently overlooked for each and every human watching this planet. And a lot of the heavy lifting that's involved in the internal transformation of this work is handled by that transmission. And the second thing that it does besides activate your recognition as consciousness is it tends to start deconstructing all of the uh, splints and braces and helmets and shields and armor and walls actually, walls that we uh, build around ourselves to protect ourselves from the terrors of this world and, and to survive 50 or 60 or 70 years in, in well, in, in, in what Samuel's heart guru, as Nadi Daya said, is to survive in a world where love has yet to take its hold. Inevitably, wounds and, and scars and scabs accumulate on us. And this transmission is, is like a kind of benign contagion, really. It's a magic virus that you can catch with enough exposure. That's why at the beginning we tell you to come around a lot and tank up on transmission. And once it's established, what starts to happen is somewhere from the, what, the, the deeper, more intrinsic part of yourself, um, this virus starts to do its work and you find that uh, a lot of your certainties, a lot of your habits of mind, a lot of your beliefs start to volatilize unexpectedly. Or as, uh, what's his name, um, Daniel Odier, a tantric teacher, says, your, uh, all of your mental constructions and your automatisms start to feel less steady, less, maybe even less familiar, and less convincing than they have throughout your life. And um, to use a, a, a simile, it, it's, it's like what happens in this is, is like the elaborate sandcastle of your interior life starts to meet the incoming tide. And um, in time, um, you start to begin to kind of relish these these tiny and quiet what interior catastrophes that are that move along one after the other and these life lessons present themselves as you move through your journey and um, they actually are the central core of what we now call I'll get this right um, <laughs> Something, I'm not going to get this right, something like the ending of fixing strategies, 
It used to be called the rot unraveling. The unraveling of fixing strategies. <laughs> Central core of which is this process I just described that's facilitated by the transmission where internally things just start um, moving and eroding, which leads to whole being realization. And that's actually the central part of what follows, the sacred reconfiguration that follows this awakening is a lot of this process where these internal um, mental constructions and automatisms, as they were called, um, start to melt or evaporate. And an ever-deepening, awakened freedom starts to just be your new, a new given in your life. And this, excuse me, this, oh, pardon me, <laughs> little unraveling. <laughs> Interior catastrophe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and this awakened freedom is not is freedom from and freedom to both. Freedom from the bondage of conditioned existence, which has unconsciously ruled your life for a long time, and the freedom to um, inhabit or embody the, uh, the particular and unique expression of wholeness which is yours to occupy. That particular signature expression that starts to emerge, which will then become your hero's journey in this life. And I've often found that it feels kind of heroic because, for me at least, the um, what the the the, the ingots of your destiny are often found in the shyest and tenderest parts of who you are. And it's by embracing those that you end up being the most radiantly generous to the world. So, that's what I wanted to say about this tantric path and how it seems to work, how it seems to me to proceed. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from the Trillium Awakening Teacher Circle. The musical accompaniment is Awaken by Wayne Kington. To learn more about Wayne and his music, visit www.waynejosephkington.com.